What does food, art, and Japan news channel have in common? It's Kaylin Falls, our multi-hyphenate bilingual artist living a charmed life in Tokyo, a seasoned illustrator who has worked with some of the big names in food industry and found her niche doing art and television in a country which she now calls home. In this two-part episode, Kaylin shares about diversifying art influences, exploring different media to find your niche, curating your own style, brand, and techniques through practice and consistency, pursuing your passion and interest through determination and persistence, the honest tell-all review between digital and traditional art, and why digital art is a good foundation for beginners. If you want to be part of the conversation, then send in your questions and topics you want us to cover to hello at etcherlab.com. Hey, this is Jesse from Etcher. We believe in your power to create, so we invited artists from all around the globe to inspire you to keep on creating. Join us in this journey and let's celebrate creativity. This is Make More Art, the podcast. Um, I guess I think I had, you know, you talked to many artists who said that they were painting and doing all kinds of art since they were really super young. I had a little bit of a late start. I don't think I got really super into art until I was maybe around high school age-ish. Okay. Um, I, up until then, I liked creative fields. And, you know, when we had drawing classes, we had art classes, mm. I definitely, they were one of the classes that I enjoyed, but I didn't particularly have any special draw to it around until late middle school or high schoolish, and I think I started where a lot of people started and that was you know anime and manga which is yeah. um I you know I well I grew up with I grew up with you know Pokemon and Sailor Moon and mm-hmm. I never realized they were Japanese I thought <laughs> that they were all like American comics and so it was around that time when I realized that there was a um another culture of art out there and I had always kind of thought well at that point I'd started thinking you know I would what would I like to do as a career for myself? Um, I'm t- somebody that tends to get bored of things pretty hmm. easily. Okay. Um, and uh, I guess I would say that like I had to figure out a way to work with my personality in which if I don't have interest in something, I don't stick with it. So I realized I had to find something that I enjoyed doing for a career. Otherwise, I would probably not be particularly detail oriented, particularly organized or um, just wouldn't have the motivation to push through it. And so I started thinking all kinds of things that I had interest in. And um, one thing that really kind of stuck out to me is, you know, I had done creative classes in the past and I thought, you know, it'd be interesting. I bet you there's a lot of different uh, types of work you can do in a creative field. And so I started researching that a little bit more. And to be honest, at the time, I was like, that'd be really cool to be like an artist or something. That seems mm-hmm. very impractical. And um, what is something that's a little bit more realistic in terms of a creative career? And I came across the idea of graphic design. And um, I didn't really have a super strong direction in graphic design. I just thought, you know, it seems like it's using a good combination of like thought processes and creative processes. And there's a lot of jobs out there for graphic design. It feels like more of a um, a more logical and responsible direction mm-hmm. to take. And I feel like yeah. I could, you know, apply some of my art interest in that field. And around the same time, I had started studying French. And it was my first time studying a foreign language. I don't speak oh. French okay. at all anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, my Japanese knowledge entirely <laughs> overwrote my French uh-huh. um, knowledge. But mm-hmm. at the time, I was like, I actually really like the study of foreign language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had interest in the anime culture. I'd, I knew that the graphic design in Japan is actually really 
pretty well recognized world worldwide. And I thought, you know, that'd be kind of cool if I could, you know, add some like Asian flares to my graphic design when I get older. So maybe I'll start studying Japanese. And that was when I really started taking an interest in Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, I, I liked anime here and there, but I didn't have a super strong passion for it. And there was something about studying Japanese language and starting to learn about some of the more, um, I don't know, traditional aspects of the culture that really drew me. And mm-hmm. I, after I started studying about half a year or so, I thought, you know, I would love to work as a graphic designer in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I graduated a couple of years early from high school and decided to, you know, take a long college. So I graduated college around the same time as everybody else my age, but I ended up taking two majors. One was in Japanese, one was in graphic design okay. with the idea yeah. of after graduating, moving to Japan and working as a graphic designer. And, um, to be honest, up the type of art I was doing at that point, and I had actually during college when I started doing graphic design, I actually got really into art, but it was primarily digital art. And I was doing um, a really big variety of genre. I didn't really have, any, have anything pinned down on what I liked to do. So I was you know, doing people, I was doing buildings, I was doing plants, I was doing everything, but it was almost entirely digital. So mm-hmm. my art career almost entirely started in the digital realm. And it was only later on that I got into watercolor. Um, I came, yeah, I came to Japan in 2014 and worked for about five years in uh, primarily packaging design, some branding, things like that. Mm -hmm. So food packaging was a big, a big genre that I did. But as time progressed, I realized that although I didn't, I still enjoyed graphic design, I was more excited when my illustrations were used on products than whether I designed the product or not. And I realized, Mm -hmm. you know, as an actual job, I wouldn't mind doing graphics design on the side, but I kind of wanted to put a focus more on illustration. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to illustration as a career, there are really only two options or two main options. And one is being an all around artist that can do kind of any sort of style and takes a lot of cheap jobs or mm-hmm. doing something a little bit more specific, which has a lot fewer clients, but again, those clients are willing to pay for your work. And I kind of, that always appealed to me a little bit more. Okay. And working as an illustrator in a graphic design firm, you don't have the opportunity to really build your own style. Mm. You are usually asked to, you know, paint a flower in this style or illustrate a child in this style. And so I got really good at mimicking a lot of different styles digitally, but I mm. didn't really have my own style and whenever I went to illustrate something personally unrelated to work everything was totally different from the next thing I mean it none of them looks like the same person illustrated them which I mean is a good skill to have but it wasn't something that I felt I could really I really wanted to brand myself around as an illustrator and I kind of came approached illustration as a uh from a designer standpoint I wanted to brand myself when you say Kayleen Paul's illustration I want something to come to mind for people. So I looked back at all the illustrations I had done through the years, and I thought about something that was both marketable and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I had done food packaging, and I'd had the, the, the uh, opportunity to illustrate some foods for packaging and advertising, and that had been really fun. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, though, I still felt like whenever I d- digitally illustrated something, I didn't really have my own style. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to try an entirely new medium that requires entirely different techniques than I've used so far. And I'm not going to watch a lot of 
um, like I had the color knowledge, I had the, the sketching knowledge, things like that. I think I'm just going to kind of develop my own style as I go. Mm -hmm. And then I, that's where I fell into food illustration. I, I, I came into food illustration and pretty right off the bat, I was like, oh, this is great. It gives me the opportunity to go around and eat a lot of things. Yeah. There's a need for food illustration in Japan. There's a lot of um, uh, illustration that's used in a lot of advertising and magazines and publishing here. There's mm -hmm. a good appreciation for visually beautiful foods. And um, yeah, it kind of also gave me the opportunity to not, like I'm, I'm pretty extroverted and I feel like illustration is ten, tends to be more appealing to a lot of introverts because you're kind of quiet sitting there and painting by yourself. But doing food illustration kind of gave me the opportunity to get outside of the house, mm -hmm. you know, travel to a bunch of different places, interview people at restaurants, and mm -hmm. so I could use my extroverted or could, you know, get out, had an outlet for my extroverted tendencies. Yeah. And then I could come home and focus really hard on my illustration. So it kind of filled a whole, but knocked a whole bunch of, um, filled a whole bunch of boxes, I guess I would say, um, in what I was looking for in a career. So about three years ago, yeah, I changed to a freelance career. Right now, I would say I'm about 70% illustration, 30% graph, well, 65% illustration, 20% graphic design, and the remaining I do um, TV work and yeah. some entertainment here. So all right, doing a lot of stuff. Wow, that, that's an amazing story journey. I mean, just looking back from, from where you started, it's interesting when you mentioned that you're the type of person who gets your, your attention span when you're not interested, mm -hmm. you easily get bored and then you transfer to but it looks like when you, from the time that you did digital and when you moved to water, it took some time mm -hmm. for you switch. Yes. Oh to yeah. Color. Yeah. You know, I probably started doing digital art when I was maybe around 14 and I didn't start watercolor till I was around 26 or 27. So I didn't like, occasionally I would do pencil sketches, but it was almost yeah. entirely a digital background. Oh. Um, I think that plays a little bit into how I illustrate now, how I look at color. Um, there's definitely certain aspects of illustration, like for example, um, having a fine line around edges and stuff is something that's pretty common in digital illustration and it's not quite so common in traditional media. And so things like that, things I think working digitally gives you a really good opportunity to experiment in color theory because mm -hmm. you're not worried about with paints, about wasting papers. You yeah. got your like color yes. gradation chart. And so you kind of get a feel for colors a lot more. So I think working mm -hmm. digitally first really helped me get my foundational basics. Mm -hmm. And then I personally feel that traditional media, like if you, traditional media is trickier than digital media. I mean, mm -hmm. both of them take a while to master. Okay. Um, and yet if you master both of them, you're like, you're a pro level of both of them. Mm -hmm. The benefit of doing digitally is that you can erase things. You can change the shape of things in just a second. You can undo things um, and you can kind of repaint things over and over again without worrying about affecting your canvas. Whereas with traditional media, especially watercolor, which is transparent, which means that once you lay a color down, it is there. It is there. So you yes. don't have a chance to look back and fix things so much. But I like that aspect because I tend to be a little bit overly perfectionistic. And I think that was a problem with my digital illustration oh. was that I was um, a little bit too hyper-focused on making things perfect and things mm -hmm. started to lose a little bit of their charm. I think there's a little bit of um, charm in using mistakes and that the type of mistakes that a single person makes um, tend to be kind of 
uh, individual based on the person. And so mm -hmm. those mistakes are like an element of your own aesthetic. Yes. So as long as you're still, you know, working within, like what depends on what type of illustration you're, you're aiming for. Like I kind of do a semi-realism type of thing. So as long as I'm not breaking all the laws of semi-realism, the, um, the mistakes that I make, I think, benefit the ultimate piece. And so I think working in a traditional medium, while trickier in some sense, I think it might be a little bit easier to establish your own style and working with a traditional medium. Good point. And I love how you balance those two out and provide our audience and our listeners like the pros and cons of doing digital and traditional. Mm -hmm. But if someone yeah. would like to start, because you said that, you know, for the, for the artists that I've interviewed in the podcast, some of them really started young and you, you started like around about 14. Yeah. Is that right? yeah, yeah. So with someone who probably just want to start now, let's say in mm -hmm. their 20, like 20s or 30s, and most of our listeners are hobbyists, what would, yeah. what medium would you recommend for them to begin with? You know, I actually, it, it really ultimately depend, depends on what type of product you ultimately want to end up with. Mm -hmm. But I really do think starting digitally was a really great um, aspect for myself. Like I said, it gives you a whole lot of uh, opportunity to experiment without worrying about, I mean, there's the upfront cost, yeah. but especially with like an iPad now, especially if you get like a used iPad, you can spend, yeah. you know, 300 USD on mm -hmm. a used iPad and you are set for all your art supplies until your iPad dies. Um, so it depends on your personality, but I'm somebody that like definitely like sketchbooks that can't take their page you can't take their pages out yeah like I am so like worried about starting those sketchbooks that I'm worried about I'm gonna open it up and see a really ugly illustration every single time and I'm just a lot less um willing to experiment when I'm using you know like watercolor I do think especially papers um and paints to an extent you have like pretty decent quality stuff to come up with pretty, pretty decent quality supplies and so Right now, I'm actually trying to experiment in illustrating people in a more loose style, and it has been <laughs> really like hard for me to like. I have my technique down for food. Like, I know that I'm I'm not going to waste this paper. I'm not going to waste this paint. But yeah. like, going back to somewhere where I'm, you know, starting out from the beginning again is a little bit tricky. So I do think that if you have the opportunity and interest, digital illustration is a really good way to um establish your foundational basics because you have the ability to experiment as much as you can you can the color the way that they have like the gradation chart color picker mm -hmm. it really kind of helps your brain um internalize you know like a warmer blue versus a colder blue or okay. a hot, more saturated red versus a less saturated red mm -hmm. and if you even get further like i i work in also adobe illustrator as well mm -hmm. and they literally have you know CMYK, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black, and you mm -hmm. shift the numbers left and right. And so you can start really see how colors, like adding a little bit more blue to this makes it this color. And it really helps in color mixing. So if you have the interest, um, I do think working digitally is, um, surprisingly, there's a lot of techniques digitally that I think people tend to go from tra traditional to digital. Yeah, but I think that's the usual from, route. Yeah, yeah, but I think there's a lot of kids, especially nowadays, that are starting mm. with iPads really yeah. early. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. That gives them this, like, and if they continue in doing iPads and digital work, that's wonderful too. But mm -hmm. I, even if they decide later on, they want to go into more fine art. So they want to go yeah. into more traditional media. I think yeah. the knowledge that they can gain from a digital base, at least in my experience, is um, pretty invaluable. 
I think that's a really good point as well, Kaylin, because color theory is something that needs to be included, let's say, in the foundation, right? Especially yeah. when you would like to do watercolor, knowing mm -hmm. your color, your color wheel, and how you mix your color, especially with watercolor. If you have that foundation, I've never really thought of that from that aspect, though. I've never tried digital, but hearing your perspective, your insights about trying out digital as a starting point mm -hmm. and making art, it's something interesting, refreshing to me, and yeah. I'm sure to our listeners yeah. as well. And right. to your point of view, that it's it would really help you with your color theory and your color choices, mm -hmm. and to understand the colors and how they work together would well, be a and really especially good with watercolor because yes, mixing the colors is important, but also being a transparent medium. Yeah. Before you lay washes on top of another color, if you don't really have a strong idea of what that color is going to be, you know, it can really cause a big mishap and. Mm -hmm. Whereas working with opacity in digital media, you yeah. can immediately kind of see what, how the colors work. So I could even see somebody potentially doing it side by side, like, you know, mixing a few colors digitally, seeing how mm -hmm. that comes out and, and then bringing that um, similar mixing technique into their watercolor, like simultaneously. Right. I can see that also being an, uh, an interesting way to learn it. Yeah. Another question that I have is, so with digital and then transitioning to watercolor, was there any like prep work or any sort of subject that you started with? So let's say if someone is already doing digital, like what you did yeah. prior, and they would like to transition to a different medium, what sort of tips or like steps, or if there are any prerequisites that they should do before they jump from one medium to another? Make More Art, the podcast is made possible by listeners like you. So we would like to give a shout out to Mabel Amos from YouTube. And she said, Truly inspirational. Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Well, I think it again depends on what your ultimate goal is. But I, before I went traditional, I kind of did research on all the different mediums out there, you know, watercolor, mm -hmm. acrylic, oil, pastel, just pencil and charcoal. I did a lot of research. And like I said, I had that, that perfectionistic tendency and I wanted to pick something that was like, wouldn't let me keep going back and trying to fix mistakes rather than moving forward mm -hmm. with the mistake. And so that's why I selected watercolor. But with a strong foundation in art to begin with, you really shouldn't be investing in very cheap art supplies. Like I went right off the bat, I was like, I know that I'm going to take watercolor. I have this basic knowledge of sketching and color and mm. how, what, how I like art to work. So it doesn't really make sense for me to immediately buy, you know, the cheapest grade stuff out there. This is yeah. something that I know I want to do. So the first thing would be like, you know, um, investing in the supplies. Once you kind of, if you, you know, you can always attend, um, there's a lot of, you know, local workshops and classes where you can get a feel for different materials. But once you decide on your material, you don't really need to go through the very beginner stages of, um, you know, slowly building a repertoire of colors because you already have that knowledge base out there. So that's one right. thing I would say. Another thing I would say is that um, similar to me, you'll have to learn how to work with your mistakes rather than going back and fixing them. So it takes a little bit of a different mindset because mm -hmm. with digital, you can really go freely at it. And if you don't like things, you can easily transform them. You can easily erase them. Whereas um, traditionally, you have to make, you really have to make sure that your foundation is super solid on a traditional base. Um, it's not, it's important to an extent digitally, but you can always fix it afterwards digitally. Whereas 
you know, let's say you're doing a portrait in, in watercolor and um, you're not careful enough about how you place the features, you can't, it's not easy to go back and fix that. So yeah, you, right. the, the very beginning stages of artwork in a traditional media tend to be a lot more important than the very beginning stages of artwork in a digital medium, just because you can't go back and adjust them as much. Yeah. But aside from that, I mean, right now, Etcher included, there's a lot of digital content available, like mm. YouTube, just um, there's, you know, if you have an artist that you admire, a lot of the artists out there have their own um, online classrooms, things like that. There, mm -hmm. There's a lot of opportunity to learn um, without actually, especially now in COVID times, without actually having to go in person to classes and things like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity out right now. I think if you are a digital artist, you know generally how to work in, well, you know how to navigate social media and web and things like that. So I think you have a little bit of a, I don't know, I would say um, advantage um, okay. in, in navigating the, the internet-based art world. Yeah, That's, that, that is so true. I mean, when I was starting out, I also do watercolor. Uh, but mostly florals. Yeah. I've never tried. I did try food illustration once, I think, yeah. and I, 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 I liked it. It's just that it takes a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. And we're going to touch on your style a little bit <laughs> in a little bit. But yeah, yeah for me, it, it takes a little bit of time. And I kind of work more on the loose side of like yes. loose watercolor. Well, and that's the thing is there's a lot of variety of, of mm -hmm. styles in watercolor. So it, yeah. again, ultimately depends on the type of piece you ultimately want to end up with because watercolor can paint really beautiful, really loose, really like, you know, um, working with the water and um, type of illustrations or something that I'm a little bit more of a control freak and I can't fully give myself up to the the whims of the water on the page and so I work with a little bit less water I the more water at the beginning stages and then I really work with a, lo a lot less as I move on and do a lot of detailed paintings and mm -hmm. so it is a really um watercolor is a tricky genre to begin with I think um mm -hmm. because it works a lot again coming from both digital aspects but in general art you I think a lot of pe people tend to work from dark to light. They start adding, they add the shadows and they start building values, they start adding the highlights at the end. And it's mm -hmm. completely the opposite in watercolor. Yeah. So you do have to retrain your brain on how you see the colors when you're working with watercolor. But for me, I think florals is actually a good example as well, but working with non-human based subjects is a lot more forgiving for beginners. Um, mm -hmm. The human mind is really uh, evolved to recognize when something is in that uncanny valley, something's a little bit off, the nose is in the wrong position. Like yeah. you can recognize that really in an instant. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it comes to things like food, and I would say it probably still life, some uh, a little bit iffy in terms of building and architecture, unless you're going with a super loose style because you, your brain can also recognize in, like uh, improper perspective as well. Mm -hmm. But food gives you a lot of opportunity to test. There's a lot of different colors in food. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different textures in food. And yet, if you make a mistake, like this, the, the shape of it isn't quite what you're looking at um, as, as your reference, not very many people are going to be able to catch on to that. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a forgiving subject for beginner watercolorists to paint, I think. Like it. And it's absolutely true. Because normally for, for any beginners, especially with watercolor, they start with loose. And like mm -hmm. when you said, you pointed out that you know from digital you start with dark and then you add the highlights in the end whereas with yes. watercolor you start with yes. light and then you put the highlights on the end mm -hmm. so florals can be yeah 
a little bit more forgiving than starting out with mm -hmm. portraits or human figures. Talking about yes. your style, um, Kayleen, because mm -hmm. I, I, you, you mentioned earlier that you work with brands and there was a little bit of, I, I would coin it as less creative freedom, but it's somehow like, like that because they would want something that's, you know, this specific style. And right, right. for every commission work, it depends on what would be the preference of the client. Right. So right. then you made that decision to transition to a freelance mm -hmm. artist as a freelance mm -hmm. artist. Was that the decision based on not having that creative freedom and you would want to really explore and have your own style? I think you mentioned this earlier about your brand. You really would want to be recognized for your brand and your own style. So was that the factor that led yeah. you to make that decision? It, it was a major player because up until then I had been doing, I had the opportunity to do quite a bit of digital illustration in my job. Mm -hmm. And um, yet I wasn't satisfied with that. You know, I, I always have, and I still have sort of a, um, I don't know if longing is the right word, but I love the idea of like these fine artists that all they do is like paint their, their thing. And um, I don't think I am not, I'm a little bit more logical in terms of the way I approach my illustration, but I still wanted, you know, I buy a lot of art books and I, I thought, you know, it'd be so great to have like an art book that is all my illustration. And I'm actually working on that right now. I think it's going to be, Ooh. it's going to be published in April, but wow. the idea of having enough of a certain type of illustration to call your own is something that takes a long time. It took me what, I don't know, uh, 13 years maybe mm -hmm. before I came across them that I felt like this was my thing. So I don't think it's something people need to rush into, but mm -hmm. that was a big decision in working, um, moving to freelance was having an identity as an artist. Um, as a hobbyist, I don't think it, it's totally fine if you're, and I think great if you want to experiment in a lot of different styles. Um, and I think that can be, especially if I think art is a very, healing slash meditative process and so just the process can be very enjoyable but if, if somebody's looking to make it a little bit more of a job or career I think all of us or a lot of us really kind of want to be recognizable and so I wanted to be able to focus more on a single style and you know I feel so much more fulfilled when clients come to me yes I'm working with a lot fewer clients because it's a very specific type of illustration that I do but the clients that do approach me, they're like, oh, we love your style. We love this style of illustration. We want it for this project. So I think it's personally a lot more fulfilling to me. Um, mm -hmm. I'm still having the challenge of working within the client's boundaries. So it's not entirely like a fine art tends to be a little bit more painting what you want to paint and selling it. Yeah. Whereas I oftentimes I, I do that as well. But I'm when I work with clients, it's, they have a single item they want me to paint and, you know, you're working within their boundaries. And I find that to be a fun challenge. And again, everybody's different than what they like in ours, but I like the idea of, you know, um, not just working by myself, but, you know, getting opinions of others and using those within your artwork as well. That's just the first half of our interview with Kayleen. Her interesting take on digital illustration and traditional art is truly refreshing. Have you done any digital work? What about traditional art? Do let us know which one you like more by sharing your thoughts through the blog post associated with this podcast at etrolab.com slash Kayleen. Want to know what goes behind the scenes here at Etcher? We heard ya. We are lifting the curtain and giving you VIP access to do just that. Get to know who does what here at Etcher Lab.
So joining me for the Etcher Team Spotlight is Camille Riva. This girl loves coffee, she loves to read, and she loves to write. And she said in her bio that she'll probably more of, be more of like a barista than a writer. So let's get to know more about Camille from the Studio Admin Team. Hi Camille, welcome to Make More Art. Hi Jesse, it's uh, nice to be here. Nice to we're meet you. To be, we're, usually, we're usually the one who's doing the interview. Now I feel nervous of being interviewed. <laughs> You're going to be great. So studio admin and you love coffee. I don't drink coffee, but yeah. what, what yeah. is it about coffee that you love so much? You said in your body that you rely on caffeine so much. So what is it about coffee that you like so much? Mm, maybe the first thing that I love about coffee is the smell. Yeah. The smell and then, I don't know, I'm addicted to coffee since I was a kid, since we're, I'm Batangenya by blood. Uh-huh. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> so my, yeah, my mother and father are both um, from Batangas and it's the main product of mm-hmm. Batangas of coffee. Strong, strong coffee. Mm-hmm. So Batangas is a province <laughs> in the Philippines where it, mm-hmm. you're, you guys are known for your coffee, like really yeah. strong mm-hmm. coffee. Strong coffee. Okay, so Studio Admin, how did you end up with Etcher? That's always a question that I asked at the start of the interview because it's always fascinating yeah. to learn how people ended up um, with Etcher. So what's your Etcher story? Um, actually, I, was, I, didn't really, uh, I, mean, I didn't really search for this job at uh-huh. first. My fir- the first um, job I applied first is it's in an airline company. So I was about to be being interviewed. I think that will be my second interview uh, on site. But I declined since I think that was the middle of COVID or the pandemic. So my mother won't allow me to yeah, go there mm-hmm. since it's too dangerous um, that times. And then Jessica, my friend here in HR, I think. She's actually the manager, studio manager. Uh, she asked me to try applying for this job. And then that's it. Uh, I was um, asked by the HR to be interviewed during that. I think I only took three days. And then I was there, here. I'm already here working at that chair. <laughs> it's amazing because this is not the first time that hearing someone who has a friend <laughs> working for her. And they referred the other friend to work for Etcher. And that's another story with you. So that's why I guess you have the same thought and feel as well about the company that everyone feels like it's it's family. It doesn't feel like job. So, okay, day-to-day work as an admin. Can you take me through what your typical day is as a studio admin? Um, as a studio admin, I think most... Of us, we would like wake up in the morning and then check the emails before we usually, uh, before um, being in Etcher, I would usually wake up then check Messenger, Instagram. But now I would wake up and check Slack or Medium Communication Slack and then check the emails for, uh, from the artist and then um, have my breakfast while working already and then have a break, short break, and then work again so it really depends on the availability of my artist that's usually my schedule i don't have i don't uh, set a fixed schedule for uh from working i just based my uh, working hours on the um 
time that my artist would reply to my emails. So we will have a constant communication ongoing. Yeah, you guys are really good at communicating with the artists that we have, uh, whether mm-hmm. they're teaching or uh, being on the pod as well. So you guys are really good at making sure that the communication is seamless yeah. mm-hmm. between Etcher and um, our artist. So talking about engagement with the artist, what would be, let's say, your favorite part of it? Because it's it's a it's a journey, it's a process, right? Reaching out, yeah. looking for looking out for artists and reaching out to them and then holding their hands through up until their their classes. So what would be your let's say most favorite part of that process? Um, my most favorite part, I, w- I would always say it's the screening process. So we would normally um Uh, reach out to them first through Instagram or through email if they have the email provided and then schedule the call or the screening. So during the screening, you would really uh, meet different personalities of the artists. So I always look forward to that. And I actually, they don't feel like a professional or like the, it's not really a formal meeting. It always happens to be like just, as chit chat with your friend so that's my favorite part it doesn't feel um, intimidating for me to talk to uh, several artists because most of them are really friendly and um, outgoing that is good to hear Camille thank you for sharing I, I guess yeah. it's 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 the same for for most of us it's really the engagement and the talking and from the, mm-hmm. the feedback that we've been getting from the artists at least the people that I've interviewed from the podcast is that they really enjoy working and engaging with the staff of Etra because everyone seems so kind and nice and very accommodating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's because, of course, you guys are the starting point of that. So <laughs> you guys are really doing an amazing job. Now, Camila, I also want to ask, because we've been doing remote work, right? I mean, everyone, yeah. prior to the pandemic and all, we Etcher has been doing remote work. Yes, How's yes. it going for you so far? Do you enjoy it? Do you love it? I know that you guys went and meet up with the rest of the studio admin team. But how, how <laughs> yeah, is it working for you so far? Like the remote work? Um, I guess it feels like um, we're still... It, for me, it still feels like we're still working face-to-face. Yeah. Because uh, with my team and the studio admins... We usually work hand on hand, so it doesn't feel like working at home. It always feels like you're just working beside them because we re- we have this connection already that we already built. That's why I really love working every um every day because it doesn't uh, feel too stressful. Even though be- uh, recently we just transitioned to the new web- website, right, yeah. and we have a lot of work to do during those times so it feels overwhelming but it doesn't feel super stressful because we're just working hand on hand with my team so doesn't really feel like working remotely love it love it and i guess it, it everyone echoes the same uh sentiment uh-huh, yeah. about re- working remotely but you don't feel like you're really working remotely because mm-hmm. <laughs> so fi- one final question camille is that You know, given, of course, the transition that we just did with the new website and then the new format, uh, what is it that keeps you going? What keeps you motivated to do what you do as a studio admin? Um, 
meeting new people that's really my um the best thing that i've uh, found here in etcher i've been meeting a lot of people who have different personalities as i've said earlier and i always feel like i'm growing as a person while communicating with them each and every day so um i feel like i'm more of um how would i say it um i can find that exact word but it's like uh you have you're meeting new friends every day and you're not just stuck at home Uh, especially during this pandemic, yeah. that's usually what we are supposed to feel because we're here just at home. But um, since I started here in Etcher, it doesn't feel like that anymore since, yeah, I've been meeting a lot of people every day. Wonderfully said. Thank you mm-hmm. so much, Camille, for sharing your uh, Etcher journey with us and for yeah. giving me the opportunity to get to know you more through this interview. I look forward to working with you more and especially with the engagement that you're doing with yeah. <laughs> up-and-coming artists for Etcher. Thank you so much, Camille. Stay safe and I'll catch up with you again soon. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. We would love to hear your thoughts, so please drop us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast or you can find us on YouTube at Etcher Studio. And, oh, hitting the subscribe button is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again next time. Until then, let's make more art.